0: working as a poet being mentored by another poet i mean that's how life has always been in poetry going back generations is also the one
1: who really pushed me to go after what i want um and so we were sitting in my kitchen and we were like you know what it would be good if other poets could experience me like why don't we do it let's do it when do we start next week let's start
2: next week this is Verse Mentors, a four-part podcast series exploring the world of poetry and mentoring. I'm Will May from the University of Southampton and I'll be hearing from poets and mentors across the UK as we uncover the often unsung support that gets our best words into the best places.
1: I remember I went through a time when I thought it was odd that to be called a mentor. You know, because it wasn't something I particularly call myself. I just thought of myself in the role of, oh, I'm just helping a poet, you know, with their collection or something. I know, in, in my case, that it's. Uh,
0: I I do think it saved my life.
3: What helps you as a poet is realizing you belong to a lake of poets.
2: You're listening to Verse Mentors. In our final episode, Who Mentors the Mentor? We'll be joined by Pascal Petit, Mimi Calvati and Nick McCullough to explore the legacy of mentoring and its changing role in UK poetry over the last 20 years.
1: Well, I think when I first started doing it, um, it it wasn't even probably called mentoring. You know, I don't think the concept really existed very much.
2: Mimi Calvati, a poet and mentor who founded the poetry school, and whose name has probably come up in these podcasts more than anyone else's, as a mentor who supported a huge range of writers across their careers. She talked to me about how and why she set up the poetry school.
1: I started writing poetry quite late in my 40s, like many women. And I'd been, you know, my training was in theatre, so I'd been to Mm -hmm. drama school and had this massively, wonderfully sort of um, structured kind of three-year course but coming trying to learn about poetry was so ad hoc you know Mm. a bit here you know a few workshops there and reading there and I don't know talking to somebody there and to me it was so messy and confusing you know there are dance schools and drama schools and music schools, why isn't there a poetry school? They should be, you know, and I was thinking really more for my own needs. Mm. And then realized, of course, there were loads and loads of people like me in the same situation. That's really where the idea came from. And that it wasn't so much about new writing as about people who were already writing but needed a more structured kind of apprenticeship really.
2: It was in the process of setting up and running the poetry school that Mimi developed what may be one of the first poetry mentoring schemes in the UK.
1: I had an idea to set up a mentoring scheme for the school and I Mm -hmm. don't think such a thing existed to my knowledge at the time. Um, So we, you know, we had grants from the um, Arts Council and we we got together and everything and we got together with other literature organizations and one of them was Arvon and it was decided that Arvon would run a pilot mentoring scheme so it was competitive it was open and you had to win a place um, I think there were three people in different genres mm-hmm. So um, so then I became the poetry mentor and um, that was the first sort of formal thing mm. i remember doing but i i think it sort of grew organically it wasn't like one day i decided oh i want to be a mentor
2: <laughs> mimi wasn't the only poet who became a mentor perhaps to their own surprise pascal petty who's mentored a huge variety of poets including robin and our guest in the first episode spoke to me about how she became involved in supporting other writers.
0: I never thought that I would get into teaching at all,
1: Mm.
0: into tutoring, Um, never occurred to me that I'd be any good at that. And uh, I think it started by, I did workshops in my home before um, Mimi, Calvati, Jane Duran, and myself when we started the poetry school, which was very much Mimi's um, project. And uh, I think from the beginning, actually, Mimi really encouraged me, both as a teacher and as a poet. So she seemed to believe in me as a teacher, and I hadn't even published a first book then. But I uh, I I don't know why, but I always got lots and lots of requests for tutorials, mentoring, and so it's gone on from there.
2: We've talked a lot in these podcasts about the way a professional writer might help us take a leap of faith and identify ourselves as a poet. But as Pascal suggests, they might also help us identify as a mentor.
0: And I, I think it's part of what I believe in, and one of the reasons that Mimi and Jane and myself Um, set up with the poetry schools so so many years ago was in the belief that uh, poetry is a creative community where we all support and help each other rather than these people in the isolated little enclaves um, competing fiercely for the few prizes and accolades that are going.
2: It's striking that two poets who have supported so many other writers over the decades might hesitate to use a particular word about themselves.
1: I remember I went through a time when I thought it was odd to be called a mentor, you know, because it wasn't something I particularly call myself. I just thought of myself in the role of, oh, I'm just helping a poet, you know, with their collection or something. Um, and, And then gradually... Sort of this this label, you know, was flying around the place, and and um, I remember going through this time thinking, well, what well, exactly is a mentor?
2: In part, this might also tell us about the lack of obvious support for writers in previous generations. Pascal Petit,
0: yeah, I, I would have loved to have had more more help, really, more guidance. So part of it was because I was coming from a different art form. Part of it was because. I was, um, my work was in a very different place from what was fashionable at the time. It was very, um, I was writing about South America, about the Amazon rainforest. And and what was really fashionable at the time was inner city Mm. stuff. Uh, And um, I don't know, but there, there was resistance to the kind of thing I was writing and the mythic, as well, that I was trying to do, which is what I naturally do. It was working against the grain. So all that meant that it took me a long time to form and and to break through, as it were, to find what you call a voice.
2: In the absence of mentoring schemes or poetry schools, Pascal was encouraged throughout her career by the late Australian poet, Les Murray. That support came in a form which is perhaps the original one for the poet mentor from Rilke onwards, the letter.
0: As anyone knows who's had any correspondence with him, he writes these gorgeous, uh, well, he wrote these gorgeous Mm. postcards crammed with his lovely writing, you know, and then sometimes there'd be another letter in there as well. Uh, um, I I think just because I thought he was one of the very best poets, writing, and I really admired what he achieved with writing about the natural world. Mm. And there were quite a lot of um, similarities in our background, Catholic and uh, obsessed with nature, um, somewhat um, on the autistic spectrum. Real love of landscape, deep kind of embedded love of landscape and, and coming from a poor background as well and and the love of the wild so all those things were things that that i totally believed and trusted in his judgment and so when i was getting really some really bad reviews of say my second book the zoo father you know he would kind of counter it and say oh just Do more, do more, let them complain
2: more, you know. (laughs) Les Marie's letters helped give Pascal something that can often be in short supply across a writing career, confidence.
0: I have actually found, uh, especially women and with uh, Black or Asian poets, that they often lack confidence, especially in the book form and don't send to magazines as much you know and, and I think a mentor can really push that as well as helping with the work.
2: Talking to Pascal and Mimi about why they set up the Poetry School in 1997 I wondered what kinds of structures or support poets might need now. I spoke to the poet and playwright Nick McCoa about Obsidian Foundation, an organisation he set up in 2020 to support black poets in the UK.
3: Obsidian, what it's for, is is kind of just creating a a safe space for Black poets to um, articulate themselves fully, but also to work on craft fully and take those two wisdoms seriously. So, you know, how do I express myself fully? You know, how do I I craft this? Because it is an art form, trying to master the art form of poetry. At the same time, you're trying to master, with, with all things of life, we're trying to master ourselves understand ourselves which i think is actually the hardest thing in life i think with the tools that obsidian provide you can jump into any one of those schemes and be fruitful whereas if you if you if you're if you're uncomfortable working on your craft or you don't know where to go to work on your craft or you don't know where to go to fully express yourself those schemes as good as they are are can be um counterintuitive the only way you know you're a good athlete is by 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 playing the sport you know so the only way you can improve as a poet is by writing and reading poems so that's what obsidian does it it, it tests what you say about yourself so you call yourself a poet yeah okay you turned up great let's get to work you know and then oh i didn't know about this oh you did it? okay have you read this no i didn't right so then that's how you need to test yourself and and that actualization is what's going to help you grow
2: What Nick says about testing yourself suggests that formal support, as well as giving poets confidence, can also encourage them to take their craft more seriously. The community and connections it provides can also help poets realise how interconnected all writers can be. Nick spoke to me about his own experience of being mentored, and how that had helped him form a sense of literary community.
3: I have many mentors. Um, I'll reel off a few names, um, but they they mentor in different ways, so... um... One obvious one is Kwame Dawes, uh, he's helped a lot of Black poets, both here and in America. And I, I regularly, whenever I whenever I realise I'm doing a project, I usually call him or talk to him about ideas. Um, I was on a project called The Complete Works, where we were given mentors, so um, George Shirtees was my mentor on that, so, and he stayed kind of like a North Star as well, um, gives me a lot of guidance. Um, and then I'll say one, well, I, I claim her as a mentor, I don't, I don't know if she sees it that way, but I'd say is Mimi Calvati mm-hmm. and to some extent, I'd also say Pascal Petit. So whatever I'm doing a project, I will always either talk to them about the idea or, um, well, yeah, talk to them about the idea, ask them to interrogate my work in there. I mean, they're, they're, all, they're very generous with always giving me an opportunity to do that. I was struck in talking to Nick about his mentors, how their support helped him start new conversations with poets from the past, too. If you look on my desk, there's a mountain, like there's literally a mountain of books. And George said, You know, we belong, like what helps you as a poet is realizing you belong to a lake of poets. There is nothing new in everything I've done. So, what I'm doing, it, it, there is something in it, you know, that, you know, if I go far enough that way, it leads to Rumi. If I le- go that way, it leads to Elliot. If I go that way, it leads to, you know, other Persian poets. Or that way, it leads to, you know, Asian poets. If I go that way, it leads to American poets. And it's my job to see the connections.
2: One poet who has prompted Nick to make connections and have conversations is Derek Walcott.
3: What he does is he pushes english canon but he also pushes the caribbean canon to to its max and he and he's he he masters both so anyone who's like i don't feel i belong well you're seeing a master working with two different canons with with equal grace and dexterity you know do you see what i'm saying every time i read walcott i am talking to walcott but if i allow him to he is also talking to me and then that's where i learned
2: So there must be a conversation, too, between the real-life mentoring going on across the UK in all its forms and the mentoring relationships recorded throughout literary history. Mimi Calvati.
1: One extreme, it's um, uh, sort of me working with somebody at Friends Meeting House in Euston, which is very often where we meet for our sessions, and I, I like that environment um another end of the spectrum is somebody a poet like Rumi with his disciples or Basho with his disciples or there's Eliot and Pound you know um sort of his mentor Marianne Moore
3: Bishop you know I think I think you keep adding to it I think it's like building it's like building a um I don't know a city or some kind of construct so you know Elliot is there um Claff is there, um, Walcott is there, you know, and what you realise is you you don't always need everything they say at once, you can't, it's too much to take in all at once, you take in snippets of what they're saying. An image is
1: when Mona Arshi, who, who was one of my, this odd word mentee, you know, but anyway I was working with Mona on her first collection and she won the forward prize and so, one of the images is actually of, of being at that event, the prize giving event at the Royal Festival Hall, and Mona looking absolutely divine in this long, white, silvery dress. And suddenly um, afterwards, rushing up the steps, you know, the aisle, as it were, towards me, and, and us having a big hug. So, that also means to me, mentor, you know. Someone who's learning to be a healer,
0: a shaman, a curer, a doctor, whatever you want to call them, would have someone who, who would show them the way and be, um, yeah, a mentor, you know, someone who would say, well, I've been through this because it's a hard process, like that uh, involving quite a lot of deprivation fasting and so on uh, and it needs some, a guide a spirit guide I and mean, if you think in terms of poetry as being um, curing songs which i do then uh, then yeah maybe you need some help along the way to draw yourself
2: out pascal Petit talking there about poetry as curing songs and the mentor as a kind of spirit guide her words made me reflect on how poetry, for all its power and ability to cure and create communities, can also be a difficult and sometimes even a dangerous enterprise. Pascal.
0: Everyone who, who's on the other side of the mentoring with me is exposed because they've sent me their work and they're nervous. Um and I know what that's like because I've been on the other side, not with a mentor, but with you know, with someone else uh, maybe a a friend looking at work Mm. and the other thing that's really dangerous is putting your work out into the world and how and the danger of discouragement and i I know what that's like too and how people can actually stop writing because they are too discouraged and they can feel they're not invited as well what i was talking about before that poetry was more um monocultural before so they can feel that they're not invited to 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 the poetry world
2: it can also reassure us and restore us in times of danger or difficulty
0: for me it's been very much um from the beginning um a a process of world making and having to make that world very physical Mm
3: -hmm. and
0: very real so that because when i was a teenager i had to live in an alternate world in my head to survive.
2: If a poem can help us survive, we might start to wonder whether the poem itself is a kind of mentor. The way Pascal describes what a poem can do reminded me of Nick describing what a mentor could do.
3: I always say that when I work with a mentor, I wanna grow. So I don't wanna be the same person I was when they first met me. And so I wanna grow in my writing and grow in my thinking. And so I think a, metal, a mentor is a catalyst on, a, on, a, on one level, but also they're kind of like fertile ground. And also they're, they're a challenge. They, I, I always look at it like, what is the challenge that they're setting me and, the, and it has to be bigger than I am. Otherwise I don't need the mentor. The poem is trying
0: to lead us somewhere. Mm-hmm. We don't know where it's leading us because it's trying to take us beyond what we know. At its best, I think that's what poetry does.
2: I'm Will May from the University of Southampton, and this has been Verse Mentors, a four-part podcast series exploring the world of poetry and mentoring. Over the course of the last four episodes, we've heard about poets' collectives set up in kitchens, and from writers who've realised their jobs as nurses or copy editors or events organisers are deeply connected to their work as poets. We've learnt about initiatives set up to change the poetry landscape, making it more diverse, and we've heard about accidental conversations, chance encounters, or letters which have altered the course of a poet's career. We've seen how mentoring can open up writers to difficulty and transformation, often helping locate themselves in that lake of poets, swimming out to places they had never imagined possible. We've heard from poets who received so little support and encouragement in their early years that they've dedicated many hours of their career to mentoring, as well as those who felt a need to pass on what they've been taught. I hope this series has either given you the inspiration to mentor, be mentored or find out more about the hidden connections between poets, both living and dead. Thank you to the 12 wonderful poets and mentors who contributed and to the AHRC for funding the project and to you for listening. If we've given a glimpse into some of those connections fostered by mentoring, perhaps it's fitting that some still remain invisible. So we'll sign off with some words on the invisibility of the mentor from Mimi Calvati
1: contact between mentor and mentee is is really a wonderful one because I've constantly been astonished—not really so much by the writing, although my, that's really where my focus is, obviously—but by these amazing people. You know how amazing people are, and their life stories and where they come from. Um, you know, very often the difficulties they're dealing with and surmounting or not surmounting or trying to grapple with um, and the different joys and different passions people have in their lives and this is a gorgeous part of invisible part of mentoring this is part of the joy mental I think has to have that privilege of after all very often people you don't know at all you know, but you suddenly have this very intimate kind of um, view of the person, their family, relationships, their lives, their past, their history, um, which is quite a marvelous thing. Um, on the other hand, I think of the role of the mental as being an invisible role. Because the way I see it, Um, In a way, my my job is to invisibilize myself, to eradicate myself and be a receiver. So more like an enabler for the person, the, the writer that I'm working with, to become more visible, to become more themselves, the writing to become more what it wants to be um, and I think that necessitates invisibility on my part you know it's not my role to impose things so in a way I think of mentoring as an invisible thing but very much behind the scenes